Before we begin our second season, we wanted to take a minute to acknowledge the current political moment. To start, we want to state for the record that we both strongly support Black Lives Matter. We also want to be clear that we both take it to be an uncontroversial fact that we live in a white supremacy. This isn't a controversial term in academia, in particular when it comes to critical race theory. It's used to refer to the way that our world is structured, namely that society is built to favor white people. One reason that people resist the term, I think, is that it sounds like we're saying that society is a compilation of white supremacists as though secretly in our hearts, we actively wish for the dominance of the white race. And that's a very psychologistic way of looking at things and is just inaccurate. Acknowledging that we live in a white supremacy doesn't have anything to do with everyone secretly actively wishing for the oppression of non-whites. In fact, part of the problem is that to white people, the ease we have compared to other races is invisible to us. We don't even notice it and it seems normal. And just a quick word about privilege. That's not to say that everyone who's white or a man has it easy or is automatically successful. This is a common misconception. We have positive associations with privilege where often you'll hear people use it in a sentence like, oh, it's such a privilege to be able to do this thing that we're actively grateful for. And so I think part of what trips people up about privilege is that it's not a thing we're registering and that's part of the problem. What it means is because of your identity, you have had the fewest impediments. That's just a better way to think about it. And it's hard to register because what you don't see is how many more impediments everyone else has because of their gender or their race or their sexuality or their class or their disability or whatever. To begin to reckon with the fact that we live in a white supremacy, we have to be able to question what we see as normal, to question a lot of what we take for granted. That involves a lot of listening, a lot of reading, a lot of watching YouTube lectures and documentaries. We don't have one or two things to unlearn. We have to reorient our sense of the whole picture. That also means questioning which stories we tell and how we tell them. A lot of what we do on this podcast is about questioning the history of male-dominated stories, which mainly relegate women to secondary characters. In the last episode of our first season, we talked about Spike Lee's 1986 film, She's Gotta Have It, and our discussion included mention of the white gaze, which is just as important to keep in mind. Our Western canon has long been held up as significant in part, so the story goes, because it offers a timeless universal insight into what being human means. The problem is most of those stories are about white men and that becomes a problem when we start to see whiteness and maleness as the essential humanity because other stories seem less universally relevant. How often have you heard a man say, oh that's a story about a woman, I wouldn't know how to relate to it. Meanwhile, I've never heard a woman say the same thing about a story featuring a male protagonist. What we need to do is question what we find easily relatable who seems quote unquote, easily likable, and to stretch our imaginations beyond what we take for granted as universal and essential. Women and people of color need to be able to see themselves represented in narratives as protagonists. But just as importantly, white people need to see more narratives with non-white protagonists, and men need to see narratives about women and non-binary people. Hi, I'm Lisa McEwen. And I'm Lisa Anita Wagner. And together we are She's gotta have it! Exclamation mark. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of She's Gotta Have It! Exclamation mark. I really, I'm. Did you just say exclamation mank? 
<laughs> no, I said exclamation mark. I feel I feel like there might be listeners out there. Like, you know how some people like really, really get upset around certain word sounds like moist called misophonia. I feel like there's got to be listeners out there who are just like fucking say it at the same time. It was a cute joke at first. And I wonder if it's getting old. It's just a it's a thought I have when we do that. I don't know. And we don't get a lot of feedback from our listeners. So if there's listeners I've out there. I've mostly who... heard people find it charming. Okay, good. But we could also rotate like one week, one person says it. The other <laughs> week, the other person says it. Because yes. I do think that it's part of the actual Zoom. Although even in person, we weren't super great at it. It did, it did become a little bit funny. So we're, what are we talking about? We're talking about Fleabag season two, episode five. Yes, the second last episode. The penultimate episode. The penultimate yes. episode of Fleabag. I'm excited to talk about it. It's one of my favorite episodes. I mean, it's not my favorite episode, but it is one of my favorite episodes. But let's first dive into what we want. What we want. I guess I'll start just riffing on the conversation we had before we started recording. Based on this new Gaga people chair dancing which is from a dance school in israel called gaga nothing to do with lady gaga i've discovered chair dancing basically your weight is in a chair so i feel like with that as something i want to do as regularly as possible i feel like i want to have a real physical career moving forward and i'm a performance artist and i already have one like i use my body as my medium but i feel like i can really push my physical, not limits, but like, I feel like I could start to do some kind of perhaps like chair dancing in my work. And yeah, really work on the fact that I will be hypermobile by the time I really work through all this. I really want to re-envision my physicality from the ground up for 2021. So do you want to just explain, because you explained it earlier to me, oh, but sure. do you want to explain it to the listeners? What needs explanation for someone that doesn't know? Who who, who the dude is who started this Gaga dance thing and, and what it means. What it means, yeah. You I sort of explained is- it. It's just like sitting in a chair and you're doing, you're kind of dancing. But it's- The Gaga concept of the whole school from Israel, the guy who runs it, his name's Oren. I forgot his last name at this juncture. It's that all people are dancers and that dance is like a human action that in some cultures is like part of your everyday life. So the professional dance troupe had that in mind and they interacted with their professional dance completely differently. And he said in an interview that a audience member came up and said, I want to dance like your dancers. And without thinking, he said- okay, meet me in the studio tomorrow. And so he started Gaga People, which was a amateur dance organization. And recently he started Gaga Chair, which is Gaga People. And then twice a week, they do sessions where you're seated. And what was of interest in that session, there was some professional dancers that were like doing it on their day off to have a lesser, the same joy experience, but less uh, output. So I'm really, I'm really taken with this notion that dance is for everybody. Cause I agree. And I don't see that a lot in the world in that, in that exact kind of way. Totally. Keep me posted. Cause I'm excited potentially being able to do that. It's a little bit related to my, what I want but I as you were telling me about this earlier I was like I used to dance all the time as a teenager like as a kid and as a teenager like I took dance lessons it was my thing I sucked at sports I mean I could ski and I could skate but like I don't I didn't do any of these things competitively I was not good enough to be competitive at sports but I I did so much dance and I look back and I remember thinking like I was so happy when I was dancing that much. And it's, it's, it's just hard to find opportunities to do that as an adult when you don't do it for a living. Like it's hard to, to do it in a way that feels like fun and relaxed. So I don't know if there's going to be in real life stuff that I can seek out again when, when this 
pandemic lockdown business is over and hopefully god it will be over at some point my what i want is that i just more in in the more immediate sense and this is sort of a new year's resolution but also just i mean it's winter you know we're in a pandemic i'm fewer friends are walking and i'm probably not going to feel as keen to walk outdoors as much so i want to do more yoga again there was a point where i was doing a lot of yoga i was doing like an hour of yoga every day in the summer of 2017 when I was really trying to kind of bootstrap myself out of some some bad body situations uh, and it really helped and I, and I don't know if I have the time to do quite that amount again but I I do I tend to do 10 minutes almost every day but I want to do more because I notice such a difference in my flexibility and tone I just want to add that into my life more again and just have that as something that is just like a different thing that I do <laughs> within our slightly limited range of things we can do right now so yeah yeah. that is true a a body practice inside i think Mm -hmm. is a it's a good thing to have at this juncture. well i just want to say before we move on to fleabag yeah when you told me about dancing as a kid and as a teenager i was so interested and curious and excited about it because you talked about that joy and that you good at it and you were at like people would call you to show the example and it's funny since you were talking too I couldn't do sports I couldn't dance I could barely stand up like everything was so hard mm-hmm. and I guess too in my own practice I recently focused on like revisiting stuff I loved as a kid so I think I just want to give the thumbs up to just investigating that more and figuring out how where we- I got the idea because you were telling me that oh, you yeah you had taken um, or you were reading something where somebody had suggested like remember what you liked as a kid because I think that's so easy to forget as adults yeah or it seems like yeah it's like a phase or something but I was like no there was some stuff I like really genuinely loved and also what's unfortunate a bit about adult dancing is often it's like kind of pickup-y vibe so that's unfortunate also yeah yeah. but anyway yeah. awesome well to us and our physical practices bringing us much comfort yeah and, uh onwards we go to a flea bag discussion the penultimate flea bag yeah. So you have a lot of notes. I don't have notes. I just have probably ramblings. So <laughs> I'm sure together we will make a delightful, a, a delightful, delightful di- podcast. Dialogue. Yeah. I guess what I'll say is my initial thought from, cause I did watch it twice today. Mm-hmm. Remember there was the episode, I think it was the first, the one we did at the cottage. Was that the first one of this season? Uh, yes. Yeah. It had the real, the religious music and like a lot of religious themed sort of structure. This had little book like little kind of chapters of it Mm. in a really interesting way but also felt like a one of the traditional fleabag episodes mixed so that's just what i will sort of say is my first thought and then i guess should i just sort of start going through my notes because it's well i want to hear more what you mean by that so what do you mean by it had a sort of religious chapters the scene this is a little bit in but this will sort of color what i was talking about when she's she's sitting with claire who looks like a pencil with her hairstyle (laughs) and said, oh, I'm dating someone new. And then when she said, who is it? It's a priest. Then it was like that, dun, 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 like the epic religious music mm. just came in really hard. And I just felt like thematically, it was sort of pulling that theme and that part of the show into the present in an interesting yeah. way. And the other thing on that same note was that when the priest shows up at her door, when she's expecting 
the lawyer for sex, when the door opened, there was this big thunderbolt at the same time. So that was just two examples that come to mind right off the bat that I think ties in with your sort of theory about this season that it's, I actually forgot exactly how you put it, but basically that this is sort of about like it's faith. And you yeah, can- I've had evolving thoughts on that in part because I listened to an interview with, I, I listened to a lot of podcasts, yeah. especially as somebody living alone. It's like, makes me feel like I have friends around. So I especially like, I mean, I always just sort of like interview podcasts, but that is my preferred podcast. People having a conversation. That's what I want to listen to. Dax Shepard, who is Kristen Bell's husband. Yeah has a podcast that I really like. And so I just started listening to a bunch of his episodes. So I started I started with people I knew and then I was listening to people I had never heard of before. And he interviewed a woman named Nadia Boltzweber, who's this Lutheran pastor who's like a public internet pastor at this point. And she's like a recovering addict and she has lots of sleeve tattoos and she's just very real and i've just like listened to a bunch of interviews with her now because i just love to hear the way she talks about theology and her religious beliefs so first of all i'd like to say that my friend emma pointed out to me that the religious themes of this season are not exactly hidden especially because i think the the poster of her has like a halo effect of like some light behind her head like she's in some ways, Fleabag is the patron saint of fuck-ups. Yeah. And and that's exactly the kind of shtick that Nadia Boltzweber is about. Like, it's just, you know, human beings fuck up and we just need to, we need frameworks that allow us to accept that and not give into it in the sense of- Honor it, I guess. Honor it. Yeah, that's a good way of saying it. And also she found her fuck up print. (laughs) Like I got some, I got some really interesting stuff about that too. She not only befriends and like develops a crush on a priest in a flea bag way where it's like a taboo for her because, you know, she's, she's all about doing the thing you're not supposed to do and wanting the thing you're not supposed to. He mirrors that, right? He also wants, he also, I mean, part of the reason he becomes a priest, I think is because he kind of needs that structure because he's like her and because he also ends up crushing on her because not just because I don't think their interest in each other is reducible to this. They both want what they shouldn't want in each other. Anyway, so I've been thinking about all the different faith themes and in our like final discussion of Fleabag, I'm bringing up my friend Kayla so that we can actually talk to somebody who knows a bit more about theology than I do because I like I just started listening to these interviews. So this is all I, I know. I'm not an expert. The way that Nadia Boltzweber talks about redemption is I think this is a tale of redemption. It's thematically about faith and it's about her learning to trust herself again. But there's also an interesting kind of catharsis. And we can talk about that more than the next episode. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. It's, wow. it's, it's, I like this episode because it's kind of almost like at the climax right before that. Yeah. Final kind of denouement. And I suppose too, yeah, just the way that I see, like, just when you said about this, like, honor your fuck upness, and that's when I was like, oh my God. And, and even in almost fairy tale way, she found her fuck upness prince. The reason that that came to mind is, and this is like the, the a, a right at the end moment, but how he has, I mean, he has been for a couple of episodes able to kind of hear in her, like essentially hear the real her. Yes. I feel like in the reality of Fleabag, she probably hasn't been hiding it and she might even mutter some of those things. And I'm just, you know what I mean? Like in the, in the reality of like where she's at. 
Mm-hmm. He was the first one. He just can really, he really hear her. And it's interesting because at the end, at one point, he got really ticked when she was talking to us for a second. And then he yeah. heard her what she was saying. Yeah. So that also just had that kind of like lovely, almost like, yeah, fairy tale kind of aspect that there's finally someone that can hear her for real. So anyway, that just- Yeah, absolutely. Well. And and also, I mean, just to go back, because I think that kind of, his ability to do that also kind of, because she can't hide from him, right? Mm-hmm. In the way that- She's maybe not like, you're right. She's maybe not so super hiding it, but like her her family is so determined to just see what they want to see in exactly. her. That's okay. So that's the other religious, con- like, I, like I, this is Lisa just discovering like, oh, all these religious concepts are actually kind of intellectually interesting. She's a scapegoat. She's literally a scapegoat. And that is like a religious thing. Like that is like historical thing that there are like figures in the, I, I sound like such an idiot. Oh my God. But there are figures in the Bible who are representative scapegoats, right? And the the Jews historically were scapegoats for Christians, right? Like Judas was a scapegoat for Christianity because he betrayed Jesus, blah, 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 right? This is like a religious trope is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. It's a religious trope. Her family is so invested in seeing her as the fuck up. And in the very first episode of season two, she's like actually kind of got her shit relatively together and they can't deal with that. And at one point, I think Claire turns to her and she's like, why? Like, why are you like being like this? And Fleabag's just like, I'm not doing anything. Like I'm actually being very inoffensive and and conflict avoidant right now. And it like, they can't deal with it because they need to hate her. And one of the things that this Lutheran pastor that I've been listening to has been saying, which is so true, is she's like, people love to hate Trump supporters because hating Trump supporters means that we don't have to look at our own xenophobia. That's kind of a, a theme that's came up in, in Black Lives Matter as well, right? Like, it's easy to hate the white supremacists because they're, they wear it on their sleeve. Actually, like, there's so much racism that's ingrained in all of us. And part of the job is to is to face that she's the scapegoat of her family she kind of internalizes that and she takes that on she's taken on so much shame and actually that moment with claire where she tells her about the priest is like this actually this interesting moment of confession and then claire actually hears it and responds very differently from i think how she's responded to her sister for a while right because instead of judging her i think she laughs and she says something like i'm impressed she even says you're my hero because that's what she said question mark for me like i i thought it was super cool and it was just i thought that was interesting like yeah so she basically yeah she's so in that moment it's true she sees her sister because she does see her like they have moments of opening an eye to each other yeah i think she asks you're badass and then you're my hero so that was a very (laughs) positive thing for claire to say yeah, exactly. Which is, I think, an indication of a real shift also in in their relationship and in in Fleabag's story. But yeah, they were getting like when when in that first episode when she was not being naughty, as her father said, but she was just being easygoing, not pushing any buttons. They were yeah. hostile with her, like they were like furious that she wasn't there for that role. So I find that very interesting because it's like it's hardly like the rest of her family isn't perfect like especially most of them like her father is kind of a coward and he he avoids things and the stepmother's this judgmental bitch who loves undermining fleabag and and claire's this like 
intense perfectionist who's trying to control everything all the time. And it's like, all of these are flaws. You know, Fleabag did something that she has a lot of guilt and shame over, but it's not as though the rest of them don't have that. But then actually it's interesting because then Claire confesses something to Fleabag. I, th- I can't remember if it's right before or right after Fleabag's confession, but it's the moment where Claire is finally just honest with herself in a pretty calm way where she says, I didn't want to have my husband's child. When I lost it, I was relieved. And that felt like a shift too, because she's not fighting it anymore. Was that before or after she met the Icelandic or the Danish guy that she left with? When she had the miscarriage, she had not met Icelandic Finnish, Finnish, that he's Finnish, Finnish Claire. She had not met him yet. Should we start with the moments that I have written down now? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Keep going. I, I was watching it on Amazon. So I used the thing to find out what the character's name was, but the hot misogynist is what she calls the lawyer that she's sleeping with. <laughs> um, which I yeah. thought was just a funny name. And it's yeah. interesting how she really does have these almost like, and she, I mean, she has one for herself as well, but the lovers, remember uh, Rodent Boy or something? Yeah. Like, really kind of like awful names for some of the people, like some of the lovers, anyway, of, uh, an int- of interest. So his name is even Hot Misogynist. And it just made me chuckle, you know, I'm not a laugher, but when she's like kind of sort of going through it at the beginning of like why he's okay. And she's like, he's a feminist. And he goes, I have a sister. And I was like, that is the lowest (laughs) bar of feminism I've ever heard made me chuckle. So I just like this show for even the little moments that almost you don't even notice. Like it was like the second, we're so funny. Well, and what's funny about that too, is that the, the, the usual line is I, I love my mother, right? That's the thing that people usually say. And you know, as as many feminists before me have pointed out, like loving an individual woman whose literal job it is to serve you and put your needs ahead of hers is not that the same thing kind of as being yeah. invested in the emancipation of an entire gender. So, so yeah, and it's, but it's, it's, I, what's funny about that line to me is also just that it's like, not even my not mother. Even that. I, like, I have a I, sister. And not even, I love my sister. Just, I have like, one. There was a girl around while I was growing <laughs> up. She was in another room, but yeah, I'm a feminist. A moment that made me laugh. Again, I've talked about Claire so much, but Claire is so good in this episode. And when she comes in with her flowers and her bassoon and her tight little walking, just made me laugh. And then also she made a comment. She's like, I'm perfectly balanced. Don't touch me. So again, just that little- <laughs> excellently crafted comedy writing that doesn't feel kind of obvious. Yeah. And then also, because Fleabag looks so toasted and it did look like we find out later she had nine orgasms from that guy but she did look like she'd just been like banged all night long so she's kind of hobbling in that way and she just looks exhausted and she looks like they maybe did some drugs together she well just- yeah she looks very hungover yeah and, or drunk yeah and Claire just looked really put together with her huge flowers so anyway just a good kind of contrast Mm-hmm. And- yeah, because it almost looks like Fleabag from season one again, right? Yeah, yeah because it's true, she hadn't been like that for quite a while. Yeah, yeah. And then that brings them to the the meeting where the priest cancels the wedding because I guess he's just like this is too much. I got to separate myself. I got to get away from this situation. And that was just another example. That actor, I you've said his name so many times, but I just forgot his Andrew name. Scott. Andrew Scott. He's so vulnerable and his face yeah. is open like when he's talking about canceling the wedding you see all the pain like how hard it is for him and he's trying to be honest and not lie but then he's like making this up anyway it's just a, yeah yeah kind of powerful scene well in an interesting moment because it's clear in in that moment that he doesn't trust himself either right so now it's very clear for 
because he's been the whole time he's like we're not gonna have sex where i'm not gonna sleep with you i'm not gonna sleep with you and now it's clear that actually he's reached a point where he doesn't trust himself just like she kind of doesn't trust herself and then my next note is just the lone guy so i just think it's interesting that he sort of is appears a lot but i guess in a way a non-sexual oh, the, man the bank the guy oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. But he's yeah. just kind of shown up and it's that remember that because he, he's this correct me if i'm wrong but he she also met him at that anger place right that's the yeah. same guy so i just yeah. feel like he kind of keeps showing up sort of like how martin keeps showing up which happened in this episode too yeah i just i, I guess it's a, I, I like it and i just think it's interesting that he sort of keeps coming back but he does he just in this episode he just helps her he doesn't want to sleep with her so it's again it's this, it's this other kind of relationship that i don't think she's used to having and even brings her a guinea pig and thinks mm-hmm. it's a hamster which was yeah but she doesn't she doesn't shame him for that i mean i think i don't know if i'm taking this metaphor or this analogy too far now but it's almost like he's a little like angel who shows up to help her right like he's the guy who who got her out of the debt in the end of season one mm-hmm. and yeah. and then he sort of shows up and he takes over the cafe so that she can go and see her sister because she has, he has a day off work so it's not like a problem he is just like this benign nice character in a way that's like in a suit that shows up and helps and then also and then after that or before martin shows up looking creepier and creepier it looks like a used car salesman that like sleeps in a phone booth and would murder your sister like he's just (laughs) so creepy so he's almost like the embodiment of creep and disrespect and then this guy is like he's like oh i can help no problem it was hard but like when he said at the cafe he was so gracious about it genuinely the hamster and the guinea pig shared a cucumber it went well so just i just noticed that those two guys kept showing up in this season especially oh no i guess it was through both seasons really wasn't it that it seemed like martin and him were almost like a well they're sort of like the angel and the devil in this one this time Yeah. yeah like martin comes up to like fuck with her again but manages not to throw her off too much which is nice i mean like he's obviously collapsing he's having some sort of emotional breakdown where he realizes that the this weird leash he's been on that like she's given him so much rope and it's kind of coming to an end like he's actually managed to to cross the line beyond what claire will tolerate and then back to claire with that haircut which is just the most adorable thing on her that does look so weird. Like they hit a perfect note with that too, especially when they show the picture of what she asked for. It's so very close, but it's also just like that little bit off. And I have to say, even when she said, I look like a pencil, just the way she held her face, she looked so much like a pencil. It was amazing. So like, um, is that because her head looks like a little eraser? Like, cause she, like she said that and I was like, that seems right. Right. Yeah. Like, you know I, how like, there's like a, like a little eraser on the bottom of a pencil. I think that's what it was. And also she just had, I mean, she just has like this really sort of sculpted face, but it was just that inexplicable kind of humor. She was just holding her face so tight and yeah. I think it was the eraser and it also, well, it was actually a wig, which is why it had that kind of weird shape. It did look so weird on her, especially when she looked all sour. Like when the lover man came by and she was all smiley, then it did look actually cool on her. But yeah, changing her vibe to sour <laughs> and, and pulling that face, it looked so funny. Because it's, I mean, it's just another moment of Claire's personality or weird feelings, not weird feelings, but her, her intense feelings coming out as some sort of aesthetic you know how she shows yeah, up in like the blue things when she's stressed out and yeah and and so that haircut like fits somebody who like doesn't give a shit what other people think about them and then you put it on somebody who cares very much what everyone thinks about them that's actually why it looks bad on her it's not itself a bad haircut it's just like yeah. on her personality it just looks jarring 
it's true. That's such an interesting thing. Cause when she did like, again, it was with her stressed demeanor. It looked like indescribably funny. She looked like a Lego person. She looked like a pencil eraser. And then when, she, when fellow came and she's all smiley and he's like, you look so modern and sharp. I think it's, it's so much in the, in the demeanor. Oh, and then my next note, I had already mentioned because when they're chatting and she said, it's a priest. And then that religious, those religious notes came in and made it seem again, like Actually, it sort of seems like, yeah, it's a, a redemption story or like her hero's journey through all this shit. Yeah. And now she's like redeemed herself and found this. And then also with the priest, yeah, Claire starts laughing. And then that other note that we had about how she really saw her in that moment. But Claire's mm-hmm. laugh is so good. Because yeah. when you see her so stressed, it looks like that actress has never laughed in her life. Like, yes. believe that she's so tight. So to see her really, really laugh is just lovely. Oh, totally. Yeah, I mean, she's beautiful when she laughed. I actually like had paused it just to get up and get some more water or something. I was having dinner as I was watching this and it froze on her face mid laugh. And I was like, wow, she looked very different. Like we're not used to seeing this character laugh. And it's like, it sort of gives you a sense of what the actress must be like in real life, right? Because she does do such a good job of Claire's rigidity. And that just reminded me again of the bridge that we talked about with Saga Norin, the character, mm-hmm. how she's so stiff. Cause I looked her up, she's a small smiley positive person you would never from watching that character you would think anyway yeah yeah um yeah and then my next note was we talked about martin and i said like how he just seemed so oily and like yucky and he'd come back in like you said in a in a a collapse kind of place and then when he said i will take you down and then she was like i will take you down but it was interesting to see like how she didn't back down in the slightest and just the power of the how much they despise each other Mm -hmm. when he grabbed her by the neck i actually had to put the closed captioning on to see what she said but she says cashmere cashmere because i was like what but he oh i thought she was saying catch me i thought so too like he no yeah you're right it must be cashmere makes way more sense makes way more sense but it's still weird like he's so aggressive but it wasn't quite a choke he like grabs her by the front of her sweater i will take you down oh and then that brings us back to the lawyer with the nine orgasms i do think that's an interesting almost like funny like little portal of hell for her that this person that she doesn't really respect or like is the best lover of her life yes with the nine orgasms and that the fellow that she loves more than anything had to witness her saying that. Yeah, it just was seemed like an interesting little loop right there. <laughs> but he he listens to her saying it, but it was surprising because I couldn't remember what his reaction was. I Because I've watched this obviously before. I watched it last year. I kind of thought he was going to get either really turned on or really jealous. And he sort of, it was neither. He was just- Almost like, oh, it doesn't matter. Let's get to us now. Yes. And that actually almost sort of goes back to that, not quite fairy tale, but like destined for each other thing where it, oh, that doesn't even matter because we've got this like thing that we got to do together. And it makes him also not seem petty in any way, like really stable. I thought it was exactly kind of interesting. Yeah, well, because he doesn't treat her like she's a possession. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or that she's some sort of sex maniac, right? Which is a lot why a lot of people are kind of attracted to her. Yeah, that does make a lot of sense. And yeah, he didn't shame her at all. Yeah, that's that's a nice, that's a very nice touch. And then, oh, this was also a thing that made me laugh. When he said nine times orgasms, and then he goes, you're a saint. Like, so her just saying that to him somehow made her a saint in his mind. This is the hot misogynist at the door when he didn't let her in. Do you know what I'm referring to? Religious, religious themes. Yeah. Religious and themes. And then also just hilarious. Like she, she even turned him away, but because now he knew that he put her on this funny pedestal. It was just a funny, interesting moment that like all kind of- Yes, yeah. 
Yes. I mean, there's more to unpack there that I kind of can't access at the at the moment. But these are also things I want to ask Kayla her thoughts about. Kayla's got a lot of experience and knowledge about theology. And so I'm interested in, in how she's tied a lot of these themes together for herself as somebody who's a bit of a, a theology neophyte. Somebody who's like, you know, I was raised Catholic, but then by the time I was 13, I was like, I'm, I'm over this but developing an appreciation for it, the metaphor of it, I guess. The metaphor and the concepts seem interesting and useful to me because I don't think that those particular kinds of theological concepts really exist within ethical philosophy or public discourse in a way that we need them to. And I, that's, I think, what I found so compelling about this Lutheran pastor um, is that a lot of the religious ideas and tropes and concepts she was talking about are very helpful for understanding how to live in a pandemic and how to reckon with colonialism and reckon with your personal life and and yeah exactly like how you feel about trump supporters and and one of her big things one of her big i think she has it uh, tattooed on her body somewhere is that everyone is simultaneously sinner and saint and that's really interesting to me in light of Fleabag. There's a kind of interesting embodiment of that where that character who says to this person who has been like the scapegoat in the center of the family, you're a saint. There is an interesting paradox there or or tension or something more interesting is happening with, with the way other people are seeing her and how she's beginning to see herself. I know very, very little about any kind of religious stuff, but I have always find like Bible stories and like some of the stuff was always just really interesting storytelling. So I have yeah. been interested in like bit, bit, bitch, I'm so tired. I was going to say bitches and patches. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> in little bits of religious things. And I've always thought it was kind of cool how like Jesus and Mary are essentially like the biggest rock stars of the world. Cause in so many places in the world, you can go into like markets mm. or dollar stores and find their images on things. So there's yeah. lots of, I mean, that's really an aside, but there's just been things that have interested me and, and just all the stuff you brought up today is also very interesting. And yeah, I mean, just to just jump off your point about storytelling. I mean, I think the other the other actual theologian that I love listening to this is I, this is very off brand for me. So <laughs> I, I feel I feel like our listeners might be like, "What's happening?" There's a poet who gets interviewed on some of the podcasts I listen to. His name is he's he's an Irish guy. His name is Padraig Otwama, and he's he he's a mediator in Northern Ireland between Catholic and Protestant communities <laughs> at a place called Corimila. And I mean, the man is like on his third PhD thesis or something. Like it's ridiculous, like how smart he is, and he's so thoughtful and so kind, and he fucking loves the Bible, but not in a not in a kitschy sort of like towing the line way, but in in a you know, the Bible is full of stories. So both this Padraig guy and Nadia Boltzweber both have the same sort of way of approaching Bible stories, which is that all of religious teachings are uh, interpretive, right? So there's the Bible stories, but then there's also like what you take from them. And that's traditionally called hermeneutics, right? Yeah. Which is just like theories of interpretation. Didn't the priest in Fleabag have a conversation with her about the stories or did I make that up? He might, like, he might have. Now I, like, now I almost want to go back and rewatch everything now that I've, like, thought about all this theology stuff more. I think, but, yeah, you know what? I have a memory because it was early on when they were kind of, like, dating and she'd always show up places. And she's like, I think she's like, I have some questions. And she started asking about, like, how could this be? And then he's like, well, right. it's like stories. It's yes, like stories yes. to people. 
And yeah, yeah, that's what I always kind of thought too. When folks get really like, but how, like, but it says this. Yeah, everyone can't survive in one boat. Like, you know, I'm mean? just like those things and you're like, yeah, but it's like. And what I like about both of their interpretations from what I've heard of different biblical stories are, are the ways in which they're both so interested in the fringe characters and in the vulnerable characters like they're really interested in what those people have to contribute to the stories like they're not interested in like the traditional readings or any kind of moralism neither of them use bible stories to kind of like throw the book at people or or to to moralize it's really about trying to find interesting gray areas of human experience because human experience itself is so paradoxical Mm. and how do we how do we reckon with that in a world that's like really dichotomized and really binary in its thinking i love listening to this shit because i just love it when people have interesting interpretations of things you know and they can reframe something in an interesting way and yeah it seems like this priest would also be very good at that i get that vibe i'd be really curious what Phoebe Waller-Bridge's, like what her intentions were. Because in a way it doesn't really matter because it's all come through. But I guess I'd be, actually yeah. I'd be curious about is her, actually I'd like to just converse with her about this. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I yeah. really want. I guess, yeah. yeah, I'm just curious whether it was like something she really super deliberately did. Yeah, but I think it's super smart. Like I think that that kind of relationship to Catholicism, whether you hate it or love it or just know a little bit about it, it just has such a cultural representation. I think it's good storytelling. Yeah. That made sense. Well, that brings the, my notes back to a circle because then it's the, the end, which I said was that interesting thing where he could really hear her and he got ticked when she talks to us again. She's kind of like, stay with me here. And then I love the very last moment when they're having sex, which you're like, yeah, awesome. She turns the, well, the camera, which oh, yeah. yeah. shuts us out. So it's like, oh my goodness. Yeah. The woman who's wanted us there as her best bud suddenly has found something more and she's yeah. shutting us out. So it was a yeah. great last moment. Because it's like, that's a moment just for her. She doesn't want like the voyeurism, like as much as that's mattered to her for the whole thing. Like it matters to her that people look at her and want to fuck her. She, she, she really builds her identity on that. And then suddenly, yeah, there's, there's something that is just privately for her. There, it's opened up some part of her identity that she hasn't really been in touch with. And also, can we talk about how fucking hot that makeout scene is yeah i don't know if it's just because i'm very invested in these characters getting together but i'm just like oh my god this is like the sexy roman catholic priest sex scene that i never knew i always wanted like i've just i always knew i wanted it (laughs) and (laughs) of course i think it's because they are both so present like the very thing that's missing in in pornography do you know yes so basically yeah so i think it's good actors whether they did or did not actually want each other i wouldn't be surprised if they did but that doesn't really matter do you know what i mean but they were Mm -hmm. so present and they were so invested in those moments the very first play i was in in university was jenny's story and there was a priest in the long robe garb thing and i kind of got a crush immediately and i got i had that like and i was like oh my god so i i've had that literally for a very long time yeah now i'm really excited for the guest next time and then i also don't remember the finale aren't i in a great aren't i am in a great place (laughs) so funny today aren't i in a good place i have watched it before i know because amazon told me i watched it like it's got the play all the way through but I truly don't remember. So I'm very excited to watch that and then have a conversation with another guest. Yeah, and to sort of wrap up the the arc of the, the two seasons. The two oh, seasons. such a great show. Like, honestly, I swear to God, this is one of the best shows I've watched in a very long time. And 
And it's also partly because I just feel like a lot of the themes reflect themes in my personal life that I enjoy seeing on screen because as women, I'd feel like we don't get that enough. My God. So. I can't wait until when we're old and we're still doing this podcast to see what <laughs> Phoebe Waller-Bridge does when she's old. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's going to be great. Oh, it's interesting with the real. length. We've been recording for an hour and 15. That's like a guest. Like we were our own guest today. <laughs> I think it's because I went on long rambly rants about theology. But it's perfect. And I just kept making up words that didn't exist. <laughs> I'm like, guess what, guys? I learned about scapegoating. Like, yeah, welcome to the club, Lisa. I did take the Bible as literature when I was in grade 10, but I didn't care about it then. And I'm like, oh, I wish I could take that class now. I'd be so into it. <laughs> I made up the term bitch in a batch, which may be offensive. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> I don't have any idea what that means, but I love it. I love it. And I think you should use it forever. <laughs> oh my God. I, I Zoom is on so I can see myself. I'm really red and like tearing up a little bit. But yeah. We are tired. It's the day before Christmas Eve. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's lovely. Christmas Eve Eve. It's Christmas Eve. <laughs> it's lovely to be our own guest and to really enjoy Fleabag. Now that, now that we've said it, we have we've got, got to, to go get it. Get it. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! thorn in her side her, her, the, yeah him less his his, his.